before marriage has. However, I believe it's something that needs to be explored before you spend the rest of your life with somebody. This idea of waiting till marriage and not having sex is only bad for society. If I could have changed one thing, it would have been to wait before marriage to have sex. I feel like that would have made my wife's and I's relationship a whole lot more secure. Me and my boyfriend have been living together for three years now, and we're pretty much a married couple. That's what we consider ourselves. I think the reason why people have such doubts on it now is because they always have that question in their head, is there something else out there that's better? All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome all of you that are uh, visiting here with us today. It's great to have you in our series. We're right in the middle of our series on love, sex, and dating the new rules. And uh, we've been doing this study. It's, it's actually uh, designed for single people, but uh, our, our married people have been liking it a lot too. They've got probably more comments from our married people than, than from the single people. But uh, the, the focus is, as you saw in the intro video, there's a lot of ideas and opinions about how to cultivate and build a great relationship. And the reality of it is uh, people really don't know what they're doing. And you can see it in our, our society because they're making a mess of relationships over and over again. And you see it. I've seen it. It, it. It's something that's happened a lot. And so we decide as a church we're going to address this issue right up front. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be in your face this afternoon. It probably was yesterday. And, and so we need to have some answers for that. And today our, our, the title, the theme of our lesson is called Designer Sex. Designer Sex. This is our part three, uh, and, and what the, the, the focus we've had is what you do now sets you up for your future. And, and no matter where you are in your relationships, uh, if you're single or if you're dating or if you're living together, no matter where you are, I, I really believe this series can help you, and even if you're married. Uh, week one, we talked about love, finding versus being. Uh, our, our, our culture, our society has us focused on finding the right person. And what we talked about week one is being the right person. Are you the person who you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person you're looking for is looking for? That was week one. Week two, last week, we talked about dating. And, and, and we spent a good amount of time talking to the guys in the house. Okay, and we, we came away understanding, hey, there is a lost art in our society, and that is being gentlemen. And, and I hope if you had a great week at being a gentleman this week uh, as a man. It really, our, our class last week really helped me, you know, to, to see things differently. In fact, I was at a high school uh, this week and was hearing some particular words that were being said, and it disturbed me more than it did before. You know, because now I understand. I mean, my, my conscience is sensitized. No, this is not acceptable. That's not the way you talk to people. But today we're going to have the sex talk. You know, I don't know if you ever had that with your parents. I'm sure it was, it was probably pretty lame when, when you had it. And you sat down with your parents and nobody looked at each other. It was kind of look off and, well, you know, here it is. And uh, I never had one of those until it was way, way late. 
And it really wasn't even a, a sex talk. It was more trying to steer me away from something that I was completely wrapped up in it for a long time. I think it was maybe 16, 17 years old. A little late for a sex talk. But today I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be a little bit like a, a parent today. Uh, a little bit. Not a lot. And the, the, the thing that we're going to talk about today is our culture pushes sex aggressively with terrible and painful results. And, and we need to address it because God has some answers for us today. How to, how to fix that and how to view it correctly. How to get out of all the damage that, that's been done. We looked at this the last couple of weeks. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or an adult... I put the ways of childhood behind me. You know, there comes a point in time in your life, and you can do it at any point in time in your life, where you've got to grow up. And you've got to stop acting and thinking like a child, because when you think and act like a child, there's consequences. And you're going to hurt people. And today we're going to understand sex, if not treated with respect and done the right way, can hurt you in the deepest way imaginable. And some of us know, we know, we've lived it, we understand it. And this is the question we've asked a lot. Are you the person who you are looking for is looking for? And, and the whole focus is being the right person instead of trying to find the right person. And I, I want to speak to the singles today because, uh, and, and, and you know, this, this is single people from... Our, our, our junior high ministry, to the teen ministry, to the campus ministry, and to our singles. And, and maybe, you know, you're, you're in, in the middle of your life and you're single. If you miss what we're going to talk about today, you're going to set yourself up for disaster. And me as a minister, why am I so keyed up about this? Because one of my jobs is to try to unravel and help people with all the damage that's been done over their lives and say, hey, God can help you. God can fix it. And so trust me on this one. I am very sensitized to this. And even in my own life. And, you know, my, my desire for, for the singles in the house is I really, really, really want you to have the best relationship possible. You know, we've got people here in our church that set it up right. And they've got little kids now. And it's so amazing to see how God can make things right. God can correct the mistakes. And so, in looking at uh, the first thing we're going to address, and, and I'm going I'm to really go after and rip this one apart today. This is our main theme. The myth that sex is only physical. Sex is only physical. And people have the idea that you know, it's, it's kind of like ping pong. Or, or maybe it's like, it's, it, maybe it's like uh, touch football. Or, or really, maybe it's like tackle football. You know, tackle football where you, you, you stay on the ground as long as you can. And these people, people have this idea that as long as nobody gets hurt and no harm is done, it's okay. There's no problem. Sex is purely physical. And as long as nobody gets pregnant, it's okay. You know, you, you experiment with it, you have it, and then it's over. You move on. 
right? This is what our world and our society tells us. And then there's another idea that's, that gets promoted in our world today, in our society today, as long as nobody gets an STD, a sexually transmittable disease. And you know, the statistics are astounding in this area. In fact, that there's some studies out that there is really no way to have safe sex. In fact, the only way you can have safe sex is not have sex or have sex just when you're married. That's what a lot of the studies have produced. But this is the mentality of our society today. And this is what I want to address. This myth, this idea that sex is physical, purely physical. The truth is, sex is not just physical. Sex is not just physical. And if you treat sex if it's just physical, as I said earlier, you're going to hurt yourself. And eventually, if you get married, you're going to hurt your partner. You're going to hurt the person that you're with because of this mentality that you have. And, and, and for the single people here today, I want you to understand that there are married couples dealing with the consequences of this right now. Again, this is what a minister and, and, and people that are in counseling, people that, like the elders that get together with couples, this is what we have to try to unravel in people's lives. So the whole idea is here, if we can stop this, if we can change it before and get people on the right track before, they're going to be happier. They're going to have great relationships and they're going to have the type of marriage that God intended for them to have. And I have some questions today for us. And our culture has blocked out the notion that sex is not just physical. Everywhere you look, it is promoted, pushed, as physical. But the reality is, your sexuality is, con- is connected to your inner person and even to your soul in the most powerful way. And if you treat your body, your sexuality, that it is purely physical... You hurt yourself, as I said before, in the deepest way imaginable. And I wanted to to share with you and ask some questions to kind of really get everybody in the audience together, all of us, shaking our head. It's amazing how silent it gets right now. Isn't isn't it amazing how quiet we get? (laughs) It's going to get quieter. These questions that I'm going to ask you could stir up some stuff in your past. And I thought, you know, man, do we go here? But we need to make the connection. We need to open our eyes to the reality of sex is not just physical. Why is it that when a child is sexually abused... And when they are in adulthood and they connect the dots, why is it that it's so hard for them to shake the damage that occurred so early in their life? Why is that? Why is it if if sex is just purely physical, why is it that they can't just put it behind them, shake it off, 
put on their big boy pants and say, it's over. It was just physical. No problem. Why is that? Why is it that these people carry this this wound, this scar, all the way through their adult life? Just a question. Well, and you may say, well, it's because the child was betrayed by an authority figure. Let me tell you something. Every authority figure that a child has in one shape or another is going to betray them, including me as a dad. You know, you make a promise and you don't keep it. That doesn't leave a scar like the way a sexual abuse leaves. And a lot of us, we know this. We're, we're, we're thinking. Another one is, why, why is it that when a woman is raped, that it is so much more devastating to a woman than if she was beaten? And why is it that when women are raped, they find it so hard to go to the authorities and tell the authorities that they were raped? Versus if they were beaten or if they were assaulted, they would go immediate to the, to the police and say, this person, this situation, that happened. Why is it that women feel like they have to hold this secret in for their whole life? Why is that? And if sex is just physical, why isn't it just like being beaten up? Where you heal and it's over. And why is it that men with the deepest issues that usually have sexual addictions, problems with it, why is it that there is a pattern that most men, that they have a deep problem because they have a missing or uninvolved father in their childhood? Why is that? These are predictable patterns. And it doesn't even matter what language you speak, what place you grew up in the world. And I, you know, I don't have the answers. I'm asking you to think about what I'm saying here. And why is it that some of the deepest regrets that people have in their lives are sexually related? Why is that? If sex is just physical. I'm going to make an illustration now for you. But I, before that, I, I wanted to share because some of you can say, well, you're, you're a minister and things. No, I, I want you, to know, you guys to know that I grew up without an education in this area. And from age of adolescence to age 21, I made a huge mess of my life sexually. And for so long, I knew this. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't know. You know, I went to church once in a while in a traditional background. But I knew. I said, you know, when, when I'd have a relationship that didn't go well, and, and it was a long relationship, and it was, it was sexually involved, I knew. I said, you don't go through life having these kinds of relationships, and then having one, and then another, and then... It leaves a deep hole in your soul. I knew that. And it's what led me to God. I'm done with this. I know there's a better way. And I saw light. And I want to show you an illustration. If uh, where's, where's Margie? Is she here? Margie, email. 
Come on up. You know, uh, Margie is a concert violinist. She plays in symphony orchestras. And she has a violin. And this particular violin that you're going to see up on the screen is a Stradivarius. It's one of the most precious violins. And this is not uh, a Stradivarius that Margie's going to show me, but it is her Stradivarius. It is her concert violin. And the Stradivarius were made in the early 1700s by Antonio Stradivari. And they were known to be some of the best musical instruments of all time. In fact, there was a, there was a, 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 a mysterious idea that these were magical instruments because they produced sounds that were amazing, mystical and so many people tried to reproduce these violins, but were not able to. Uh, just recently, in 2010, Napoleon Bonaparte's Stradivarius violin was sold for $3.6 million. That's how valuable one of these violins is. Margie, how would you feel if I... Uh, Allow, you know, take this down and allow people to see it and I pass it around and let everybody have a, have a look. And well, I would stop you. I wouldn't <laughs> I don't even like other professionals play my violin. And they don't either. But if, if you did it anyway, I would feel pretty nervous and sit to my corner. And I won't do that. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, and these, these violins were amazingly precious. And they took great care in making them. But, you know, in our society today, people treat their sexuality like I just talked about with this violin. They pass it around. And they allow other people to touch and to handle, and to use. Why wouldn't she do that? Because it is so valuable to her. It's her instrument. Do you know how valuable your sexuality is? Do you know that? And I want to dash this idea that the world promotes. It's no big deal. God values your sexuality way more than a Stradivarius violin. $3.6 million. Your sexuality was more valuable than any of that to God. Maybe it's not to you, but God intended it to be something that you cherished. That you protect it. The same way Margie would protect her violin... From anyone handling it, God has that same conviction about your sexuality. It's precious. You know, and in reality, that violin is pieces of wood, and glue, and wire. It's what it is. It can be replaced. 
That's why people have insurance policies on their violins. It can be replaced. You can buy another one. Your your sexuality is so much more fragile because it's precious and you can break it. And you may be able to repair it. God can repair it. But it won't be the same. It will never be the same. And this is a reality. And we live in a culture where people pass their sexuality. It's no big deal. Spring break. A party one night. An encounter. A car ride. A moment alone. They don't realize God never, never intended for it to be that way. And I don't care what the TV shows in our culture is promoting and pushing. You've got to come to grips with some of these questions that I asked. And you've also got to come to grips with people in their adult life that are, that are wrestling and dealing with the damage that they did to their life at an early age. God created His sexuality as an expression of this little word that we're going to look at. And the little word is intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy means to know and to be fully known. Something so powerful, something, something fearless, something where you, just, you can let your, your guard down and be you and allow someone to know you in the most intimate way. You see, if you violate your sexuality outside the context of marriage, you ruin this. It's no longer intimacy. It's something else. And when God created sex, He wanted to take, you know, in the beginning when He was creating the animals and, and they reproduced and they, they would have sexual relationships and, and they would reproduce. But God said, when I create man and woman and... and, and, and Genesis 2, verse 24, he says, When a man leaves his family and his father and mother joins to be with a woman, they will become one. And that unity, that, 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 that togetherness was something so precious. God said, I want to take, I want to take, it's not going to be just so they can reproduce. It's going to be something at a whole different level. It's gonna, it, they're gonna, their souls are going to be knit together. That's what it was intended. A whole other level of closeness. And it will reflect on how God wants a relationship with us. That intimacy, that closeness of being fully known and allowing ourselves to be fully known by Him. Know me as I am with no fear of comparison. Complete vulnerability. That's what God did when He created it. It is fearless, full-on, fearless passion when done right. That's what God intended for it to be. And it was intended to be a gift. Not an object. Not an encounter but a most precious, precious gift between two people. 
And this is where that passage I mentioned, Genesis 2.24. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and he will be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And I want to encourage you, we must be so much more careful with our sexuality because it's so fragile. It can be broken. And very difficult to repair. And the whole point of this is not to guilt us out, not to make us feel bad, but it's so that we respect and that we can have a change of mind today and throw out the garbage that the world is promoting about sexuality. Because it's ruining people's lives. That's the truth. It is ruining marriages. You're not doing the cleanup work. You're not sitting in a home with the wife crying and the husband with his head down. I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know if this is going to work. And people jump around from relationship to relationship to relationship thinking they're going to find the right person. When in reality, they violated this. This is the problem. This is the root. And only God can fix it. Only God can make it right. And so I hope today this can spur you on. And, and what happens? You know, you, some of you guys know people like this. Married people. If you treat your sexuality like it's physical, purely physical, it's no big deal, what happens to you over time? And this passage that we looked at, you know, where you become one. What if you become one with one person and you become one with another person and another person and another person and another person. What happens to your, your sexuality factor? It becomes numb. You become numb to it. And then we think, well, I'm going to find the right person and I'm going to get married and I'm going to flip a switch and everything's going to be great. No, what you did in your past will reoccur in your future and present itself. That's why it's so important to get it right the first time. Look at this passage. As Paul describes people in the world, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. They become hardened in their hearts. They become numb. How many married people do you know who are just numb? They're just numb. They can't experience intimacy. It's the, the passion is gone. The love is gone. Why is that? It has a lot to do with what they did in the past and the way that they look at sex now. It's all confused. Men, men, they don't even understand. They're like, I don't understand. She doesn't meet my needs anymore. And, and, and then she says, oh, well, he doesn't meet my needs anymore. And, and they're missing each other. Because they missed the point. And singles, I want to encourage you. You don't want this in your life. You want to do it differently. And you can do it differently. And the Bible speaks clearly on this issue. Written 2,000 years ago, someone said just what I've been saying up to this point in our lesson. That sex is not just physical. It's not. And Moses said it. 
Jesus reinforced it when He was teaching on divorce. We're going to look at that passage. And when men... Imagine Moses when he was coming down from the mountain and he had the stone tablets. You know, the Ten Commandments. And you know, what if, what if Moses was really not who he said he was and he was manufacturing religion, right? He's got the people convinced, I'm the man, I've got the, I've got the Word, I've got the, God, I've got the God thing. What would he have taught about marriage if it were a man-made religion? He would have taught just like every other cult leader teaches. It's consistent. When a man manufactures religion, they treat women as a commodity. In other words, they say, they create a rule system that I'm the man, so I must have a number of wives. This is what men do. But Moses didn't teach that. And it's a very clear teaching understanding that this is from God because Moses taught it's just one. A man should be joined with one woman for the rest of his life. That's God's plan. And Jesus reinforced it. But you can tell whether religion is man-made or God-made on this simple point. When men manufacture religion, they treat women as a commodity. They're objects. And they miss the relationship. And they miss what the Word teaches, the Bible teaches. Look at what Jesus said when He was asked about divorce and jumping around in relationships. Even during His time in the Jewish religion, men would jump around. Jewish men, men that supposedly followed God's law. They were jumping around and could write a certificate of divorce and and leave a relationship quickly. Because women were treated as a commodity in the first century. And Jesus had to correct the, the idea. And He said, listen, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer be two, but one. He's quoting Moses in the book of Genesis. And then look what he says here. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man, let no woman separate. What's the teaching here? It's a one-time deal. You're not, you're not to jump around in different relationships at this level, at the sexual level. It was never intended for that. And this is how the Bible speaks. And then even Paul in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a lot like L.A. I don't know when the last time you've been to Hollywood, but man, it's in your face. The liberal ideas, the way out there, it's all good and have a good time. The goal in life is have a great time. And don't worry about the consequence. It's no, no big deal. It's in your face. Very much like what Corinth was like. And Paul was looking around in Corinth. He says, man, these people don't know. They're ignorant. They have no idea of what God's teaching is on this. And they're ruining themselves. They're ruining their lives. And look what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He doesn't say just avoid it. Don't manage it. He says, flee, flee, run, forest, run from sexual immorality. Meaning, sex outside of marriage. He defines it in verse 16. The same chapter. Run away from it. Get away from it. Get get the heck away from it. Why? 
because it can hurt you in the deepest way imaginable. And then he goes on in the same verse, in verse 18, all other sins a man commits outside of his body. So, so Paul is basically creating a different category of sin. He says there's, there's all other sins, but then there's, there's sexual sin. Sexual sin is in a totally different category. Why? Because it affects you deeply. It can take you off your axis emotionally in relationships. See, when you sin against God in a sexual way, you're sinning against your own body. And that's what he says in the very next part of the verse. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But a sexual sin, that does deep damage to your inner person, to your soul. And we don't manage this. And we make a mess. Today I want to encourage you to hear what God is saying. Hear what the the consequences. Sexual sin is like no other sin. It's at a whole different level. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. That it, it is different. It's distinct. It's deep. And then he goes on at the end of verse 18. He says, But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. He hurts his own body. When you sin sexually, you hurt yourself deeply. You carry it around throughout your whole life. That's the reality. And some of you know that. You carry around those memories. carry around that baggage. And that's why when people get married and, and they think, well, everything's just going to change and they don't realize they're bringing a five-piece baggage set with them into that relationship full of stuff. And then they begin unpacking. And then she says, I didn't know about all of this. And then he says, well, I I had no idea that she was like this. All because this idea that you can just go through life and not, not see it as God sees it. In verse 16, This is where he defines it. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. You see, when you have a a sexual relationship with somebody, there's something that happens. The word here, he says, united means to, to meld together. It becomes one. It's like two liquids, two separate liquids. You pour them together, they become one liquid. Now, what's it like to go around and and be one with this person, one with this person, one with this person, one with this person? What happens? What happens to who you are? What happens to that fragile gift that you have that God gave you? And God designed sex to be in the context of marriage with one person. That's what its original intention was to be. And as I said earlier, you damage your intimacy factor when you live like that. It's a big deal. 
And you disconnect sex from what it was intended to be. And over time, you'll become numb and you won't have that level of intimacy in your marriage. And in verse 19, Paul addresses the Christians. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian today, a man or a woman of faith in Jesus, this is what Paul is saying here. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you received from God? See, when you become a Christian and you, 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 you have Jesus' Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit in you, there's an indwelling, there's a part of God in you. And it says here, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You're God's possession now. And, and he deals with this point because, therefore, honor God with your body. What are you doing with your body? How are you treating that gift that God gave you? Are you taking care of it? Again, it's awful quiet in here. We need to talk about this. And if you're, you're a, a parent of, of younger children or downstairs, I, I encourage you to get a conviction about this and help your children when they get older. Because this is huge. This is so big. But if you call yourself a Christian, you know, and you say, well, we're in love and we're not married yet and, and, and we're, 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 we're having relationships, but we, we plan on getting married, you have no idea what you're doing. Like as it was on the, on, the, on the video. Well, we've been living together for three years and it's like we were married. No, you're not married. Well, we've made that agreement. We've made that understanding. You're not married. You've not laid it down and said, you're going to be mine and I'm going to be yours for the rest of our life and there's no way out. I love you and I'm, I'm yours. And I'm His. You're the only one for me. You can say that, but when you put it on paper and for the law and for God, it's a whole different game. But even the marriage vows today don't mean anything. It's very sad. And, and I hope that today you can get a conviction about this because it, it will make all the difference in your future. And this mindset clashes with our culture today. I mean, it just bashes up against it with what our world believes. And, and I want to address some, some things. Because there are some argumentative people out there. They're pretty smart. You know, and they, they run around. They say, well, I don't, I don't buy what you're saying. I don't buy what you're selling. I, first thing, I'm not selling it. But there's this idea that, well, well sex is a, is a preference. It's kind of like art. You like this kind of art? I like this kind of art. It's a preference. You like this kind of sport? I like this kind of sport. No, it's not a preference. Because it's more like nutrition. If you eat fatty foods, a lot of starches, and a lot of sugars, there's a predictable outcome. 
right? We all know this. Nutritionists know it. If you eat those kinds of food a lot, what happens to your body? It's a predictable outcome. It's going to affect you. Sex is not a preference. There's a predictable outcome. You treat this body, you treat your body this way, you treat your sexuality this way, there is a predictable, consistent outcome. It, it happens to everybody at this level. It's not a preference. And for all of us to see that this predictable outcome, this is what happens to people when they treat sex in this way. And the reason it's predictable is because of the design. You know why food affects your body a certain way? Because your body is designed to process certain foods in a certain way. It's designed. Sex is by design. It has a designer. And it was meant to be done and had in a certain context. If you don't, it's going to produce a predictable outcome. Consistent. And when you don't respect sex the way God intended, and its design and purpose, there's going to be a consequence. And there's going to be damage. Another myth that people... And this is crazy, but people, single, single people, they think this way. Practice makes perfect. So before you get married, I mean, it's really, it's really off, but before you get married, you want to practice as much as possible. It's kind of like a sport. You know, the more you practice, the better you get. Maybe like playing a violin. The more you practice, it is not like that. In fact, you can go into a sexual relationship for the very first time and have no lesson, and you'll figure out what to do. (laughs) Particularly with somebody that you love. In fact, if you want to go into a relationship, let me give you a little 22-year advice. 22 years of marriage. When you go into a relationship at that level, you don't want to have any practice or experience. Who do you want to marry? Let's get honest. You want to marry that woman who's had a lot of practice? Who's really good? You want to marry that guy who's had a lot of practice? Let's be honest. There's a reason for that. And some couples who are living together before they marry, well, we're going to get a lot of practice. Like, you know, we're going to get really good at it. So maybe like a sport, we can win a trophy. Come on, let's get honest. Let's be adults here. Let's stop being children. Let's talk like adults. Let's, let's look at this thing from, a, from a, an adult viewpoint. You can do that. The more partners you've had, the better you'll be. And it's not like playing the violin. No ways, no shape, no form. The truth, the truth, this is it. This is huge. Write this one down if you want to use some ink in your pen. I know some of you are saving ink. This is important. You want to know about relationships? Romance in marriage is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. 
romance in marriage is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. You're the only one for me. Whoa. You want to throw some, throw some gas on the fire? You're it. There's no one and there will never be anyone. Wow. You want to knock somebody's socks off? And not just the phrase. I mean, live it and mean it. Really mean it. Things like this. I've waited my whole life for you. Meaning, I haven't been with anybody else. Or if you have, you, you, you came to church one day and then you decided, no more. And from that day or that time, you stopped and you said, I started, I didn't even know who you were. But I was waiting. And phrases like this, I only have eyes for you. You know what fuels romance? That fuels romance. I have been praying and waiting for you before I had a face to associate with you two. I didn't know who you were, but I was praying for you. And I was waiting for you. You know what it's like to stand at the altar with that mindset? You want to talk about the, the, the building blocks for an explosive, powerful, passionate relationship? Exclusivity. That's what fuels romance. The flowers, you know, the candlelight, not that much. It helps. Soft music, it helps. <laughs> it's maybe about 3%. The other 97, you're it. You know what it's like to have your husband or your wife go on away on a business trip and not have to worry? Then when they come home, you know what kind of romance there is in that? But are you training for that now? Are you preparing for that now in your single life? Do you have that mindset? And, and this idea that I'm able to give all of me to all of you. This is what God intended it for it to be. I know her history and she knows mine. Now, I want to say this because I, I know a lot of you here today come from different backgrounds as, as I do. You say, well, man, I, I don't know if I can start over. As I shared with you before, I made a pretty big mess of my life as a single person. But I started to study the Bible at 21 years old. And I made a decision, God's way is the way. And I stopped. Stopped all the impurity. Stopped all of the, 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 the promiscuity and all that. And said, God, I'm yours. And I'm going to begin to prepare for my future person. I didn't know who that person was. Five years. Had no relationship with a woman. In an intimate way. At all. And God gave me a do-over. Because when we got married, it was like starting over again. And I believe that's what God can do for anybody. Even if you're married, 
God can give you a do-over. But it begins with you treating sex as it's intended. It has to be respected. It has to be exclusive. It has to be intimate. It has to be something that, that the way God intended it to be for all of us. And so I've got two things I want to encourage you to do as a single. I want you to write your story. What kind of story do you want to tell to the person that you're going to marry? There's two options. Tell that person, well, you know, I really didn't get much education when I was young and I ran around in high school and I, I ran around in college. Yeah, there was spring break and I was just doing what my, my girlfriends were doing. And yeah, I've had a number of boyfriends. And, you know, but right here, right now, today, I'm getting married to you and we're starting over. That's one option. Another option is as I've described in my own life. Where you came to church one day and you said, this is it. I'm changing the way I think about sex. I'm going to be pure. Wouldn't you want to marry somebody with that story? I know you would. Let's be honest. Both man and woman want that story. And then number two, determine ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. Determine ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. What's that look like? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to be? Are you going to be alone in a car late at night with that guy, with that girl, where you know where that's going to go, where that can go? Or are you going to say, no, no, I'm not going there because I'm waiting. I'm, I'm looking at my sexuality like a budget. I'm saving for the future. I will not give this. I will not do this. I'm not going to go there. And, and the last thing is to think about this phrase here. Giving up something now for something better later on is not sacrifice. It's an investment. Are you investing for the future? And I would encourage you, if you're single, to talk to some married people and open your eyes to what's out there. And let God teach you the new way. And we're going to close out now with uh, a scripture here before we take communion. And we take communion every week to remember that Jesus' blood washes us, cleanses us, gives us a new beginning. To our whole life. He cleanses our soul. You know, and I know that some of us today, maybe, maybe it stirred up some guilt, maybe we feel a lot of things, but understand this, God sent Jesus to do away with that guilt, to wash you clean, to make you pure and holy again. You may have the memories, but your soul is clean. And then it's all about retraining your mind to accept God's promises. And we take communion to remember this gift that God gave. And before we read it, I want to, I want to say this to the young people. I really, really, really wish that someone would have sat down with me 
at 14 years old and taught me this and showed this to me. I wish I could have got an education because I did a lot of damage to my soul and I did a lot of damage to other people. And I'm begging you today, listen to what I'm saying. Listen. You don't have to be another statistic. You don't have to be another one of those you know, damaged people that walks around wishing, man, I wish. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what God is saying to you today about the gift of sexuality. It's so precious. It's so fragile. But why did Jesus come? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were deemed from the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers, but it is with the precious blood of Christ. There's no value on the blood of Jesus because of its power to redeem, its power to renew, a lamb without blemish or defect. God sent Jesus to give us that do-over again. And then to teach us how to live. So let's take the communion now as we remember. And I want to encourage you during this time of prayer to, to put it out there before God. What's your decision? And while we're listening, uh, while we're, we're taking the communion, there's a song I want us to listen to that really describes, and the lyrics will be up on the screen, that really describes that when you've been forgiven... There's a time where it's time to put the past behind you. It's time to forget the regrets, forget the past, and start building and, 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 and focusing on your future. What's your gonna, life going to be like from here forward? Let's pray. Our God and our